Welcome to the Lancaster Patriot Podcast. My name is Chris Hume. I'm the managing editor at the Lancaster Patriot, a conservative yes. print newspaper serving Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and beyond. And I'm joined today by Dr. Enche Zama, who is a renowned cardiothoracic surgeon, and he is running for Pennsylvania State Governor. Dr. Zama, thank you for joining me today. Good morning. Thank you, my brother. I'm glad to join you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you so much. I know you're busy. I know you're busy campaigning. Uh, we have the primaries coming up May 17th. So Dr. Zama will be on your uh, Republican primary ballot for Pennsylvania governor. Dr. Zama, why don't we start out? Just kind of give our listeners an idea, uh, just a brief background of who you are and why you're running for Pennsylvania governor. So, yes, uh, my name is Dr. Enches. I'm a, I'm a retired cardiothoracic surgeon, a heart lung surgeon in the Poconos. And, uh, um, Actually, I was born in a little grass hut village in Africa, and I uh, came to America with $14 after my mother died because there was no doctor, and I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, so I worked very hard. Uh, as you can imagine, with $20, it uh, doesn't take you far. <laughs> and I uh, put myself through college and got a bachelor's in chemistry, went on to get a PhD in chemistry, and got a master's in management from Harvard as well, and then I was eventually trained and educated to be a heart-lung surgeon at Harvard Medical School. I've lived in Pennsylvania most of my medical career. I've practiced uh, extensively uh, from uh, uh, the Guthrie Clinic in Bradford County, where I was director of the heart surgery department, and then on to the Pocono, where I opened a brand-new heart institute, uh, where I was director for years and then worked in Philadelphia at the Jefferson area system where I was also director of the Heart Institute. And what else have I done since graduation? Well, I, uh, in my career, I knew that uh, educational empowerment is one of the most important things for our children and for the growth of a nation. So I've uh, helped to build schools, and I currently support an entire elementary school in Africa. And I've traveled the world as a missionary during doing pediatric heart surgery. I'm a pediatric heart surgeon as well as an adult. And I've traveled to Asia, uh, Africa, South America. And I used to bring some of those kids, actually, when I was up at the Bradford County Guthrie Clinic uh, for their surgeries in the U.S. And so I have a vested interest in human service. And uh, I've been a leader in the healthcare industry for years. And uh, I was really frustrated with the way the COVID crisis was being managed and there comes a time in our lives when silence is betrayal. And I decided I wanted to run for governor to, governor to be a governor for our children. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's start, if we can. I want to touch on both of those things you mentioned. You mentioned the COVID response, and you've mentioned your work in, in health care and, and caring for children. Let's start with children and abortion. I mean, abortion is... Yes. A huge issue in our society, if you look at it from a Christian, this is the murder of human beings. And can you share your position on abortion and also maybe why your position might be different than some other Republicans? So my formative years were spent in Africa where we had uh, tremendous respect for human life. And uh, a child, there could be nothing more precious than a child. Growing up in a Christian family and going to a missionary Christian school and, uh, you know, being part of the traditions in that environment, in that world, in the village uh, where life was considered precious. Um, I can never embrace any other stand but a pro-life position. 
And uh, unfortunately, uh, as a doctor, uh, I know this in a clinical sense, uh, uh, that abortion has been promoted so much in this state, in this country, and unfortunately in many places in the world, that I always stop and wonder why people will choose to take human life. I believe as a doctor, and the science has said this, that life begins at conception. And as I've stated a thousand times, if there's any interruption in that life, any point in that spectrum from conception to birth, if life begins at conception, and then any interruption should be tantamount on murder. And so I will always be pro-life because I believe that's the right thing to do. God commands us to do that and to protect innocent lives. So I will never support abortions because I will always want to be on the side of life because that's the best position to be as a Christian and as a human being. Now, can, can we elaborate on that a little bit as far as, you know, you made some comments about heartbeat bills. And for our listeners who don't know, heartbeat bills are there, you know, laws that would seek to limit abortion by saying, uh, you know, babies can't be aborted after a heartbeat can be detected or after, quote unquote, viability, whatever, whoever defines that. Can you just talk a little bit about why you're opposed to that type of legislation? So babies are precious gifts from God. We were all babies. Every listener today was a baby, was formed at conception by God and grew up in a mother's womb and was delivered. And at a point now in our lives when we should look back and ask ourselves, why is it that we have to support a system that determines when a child should be aborted if we decide and understand that life begins at conception? Now, let's look at this this way. People who are proponents who support this heartbeat you know, law. If it says if there's no heartbeat detected, and then it's okay to abort. The question I ask as a scientist with a PhD and a doctor is, who are we to determine when? And how do we know that technology is right for those of those who choose to embrace this idea or this option? Our technology continues to evolve. And also, how do you know to trust the person who's performing the, uh, the, the procedure to ascertain to see if there's a heartbeat? And if it's a gynecologist who's doing it, how do you know they're in the up and up? Mm. If it's somebody who's also someone that supports abortion, how do you believe that the outcome, the results, the reading would be objective? And furthermore, just because you do not discern a heartbeat does not mean there is not a heartbeat. Mm. And if you say you're pro-life, but you say that I support an abortion before a heartbeat, and you don't know when that heartbeat is present, and you don't know exactly what stage in the development the fetus or the baby in the womb is, and then you've betrayed the trust 
that God put on all of us to protect the innocent, and you've betrayed the trust that that baby, the innocent, unoffending baby, has on us humanity. And also, you've betrayed the trust in yourself. Because the mere fact that you're alive to be able to do that, to make statements about that, and to support and embrace it, means that nobody made that determination in your case, and you were not aborted. So mm. you start seeing the, the contradictions in embracing this. That's why I choose summarily to stay on the side of life. Mm. And I feel comfortable in that regard. Because I don't trust many of the actors in this. Not only that, because it's the right thing to do. Mm. Let me ask one more follow-up question on this issue before we move on. Uh, and Sure. There is these. There are you know laws out there that you know seek to regulate abortion. I mean, it is technically it is is it it's illegal for partial birth abortion. Of course, you're probably aware of what's going on in Washington D.C. with these this abortion clinic that has uh, yes. likely done committed those atrocities, which any abortion is murder and atrocity, and and our culture kind of reacts, you know, rightfully yes. so to those. But all abortion. Now, if if you are elected governor. Um, what do you see? How are some ways that we can move forward to outlaw all abortion and end this uh, from happening in our state? Well, there are countries in the world now that have outlawed abortion. And I don't, I'm not somebody who believes in punitive, you know, uh, responses to a moral crisis. Jesus didn't do that. What I believe is that when people are educated and understand why it's important to preserve and protect human life, they will be more inclined to do what's morally right. And so young men and young women, and I should say young men, because it takes two to produce to a baby, but young women in particular need to understand, and I think, yes, in a society where abortion is abolished, need to understand that for whatever reason they choose to not have a baby, if they carry the baby to completion, means to birth, there are options. For example, the most common option is adoption. I mean, if you look at the state of Pennsylvania, for example, year for the past several years, we've been losing population. But think about the contradiction. Yet, we're allowing thousands of babies to be aborted. Hmm. And then our children are all moving out of state when they graduate from college. And it seems like the solution is right under our nose. So on the one hand, we're chasing life, eliminating life. On the other hand, we're complaining that the population is diminishing and we're losing congressional seats. So... What I've done as a candidate is to highlight these contradictions to people. It's not enough to say no abortion. We have to look at the root cause of why a young woman decides to have an abortion. And until we can, uh, when we take the stand of no abortion, until we can start to address those root causes in society, the lack of education, lack of jobs, housing insecurities, you know, crime, will we be able to make a sustainable difference in our policies? That's the type of governor that I want to be. Yes, 
embrace these young mothers. But also, it should not end with them having the baby. We have to be able to support them and provide resources that these mothers or families can continue to be sustainable. I think the problem we've had is with anti-abortionists like myself is that oftentimes, yes, we are only there to intervene. But if we address the root causes that lead a human being to consider an abortion and then provide the type of support that they need to be self-sustaining, I don't believe in welfare states, Mm. afterwards, I think we will be able to make a significant you know, change or transformation in our society. And furthermore, I'll say something to this. Um, the women who commit abortions, let me put on my physician hat. And I get to see people in three dimensions more than anybody else does, just like many other people in the healthcare industry. We see people in three dimensions. We know more about their lives than others. There's not a single woman I've ever met taken care of as a patient, been associated with in healthcare, who does not have remorse and regret. And that psychological burden that they carry to their grief is something that is significant, that they mm. committed an abortion in their early years and made that decision. So that's something that's very important. But the proponents of abortions, they encourage a woman to take care of it. You, you own your body, your rights, your liberties, this, that, and the other. And then they walk away and leave the poor woman holding the basket. Mm. So when I say anti-abortion, I'm thinking holistically, not just about the baby's life, but also the mother, the welfare of the mother. So draconian measures that seek to penalize the mother will never lead to sustainable solutions. The approach must be holistic. So you would be opposed to criminalizing... uh, you know, prosecuting mothers who get the abortions. What about the abortionists themselves? What's your stance on that? Yes. My stance, the abortionist more so than the woman, because the woman who is getting the abortion is not in the right psychological state of mind. Medicine knows this. Psychologists, psychiatrists know this. But the proponents of the procedure itself, physicians, I believe they betrayed the trust that the profession placed on them. And let me explain why. Because if a woman walks into your office, unilaterally makes a decision to have an abortion, and you're a clinician, you're supposed to look at that woman holistically. But if you look at it just as a job, an opportunity for you to earn money, earn an income and you shroud that with the euphemism about she has rights over her body you failed her you failed humanity and you betrayed the trust that the profession impacted on you and what's that trust do no harm the hippocratic oath and a committing abortions is doing harm not just to the baby if you follow this it's also to the mother because that mother walks out of your office you collect your check you feel good with about what you just done but she has a lifelong you've taken a healthy mother 
and transformed her to a lifelong patient. And our psychological health is just as important as our physical health. So yes, I will go after the perpetrators more so. Well, a lot more that could be said about that issue. Uh, I encourage everyone to think deeply about that as they consider this upcoming election. Let's change gears. We don't have a lot of time left. Uh, let's talk about the Governor Wolf's response to COVID and the government's involvement in shutting down businesses, choosing essential, non-essential businesses, really pushing a, an experimental vaccine, a new uh, treatment uh, on the entire population. Can you respond to that and how, how you think uh, the response should have gone? And, and if we have something like this again, what your, what your position is? My brother, you summarized it so well. And COVID has been mismanaged. And it's been girded in fear, leadership with fear. And just stop for a moment and think about it. Have you ever had have been under so much stress and all of a sudden you catch a cold and you have fever blisters. Fear creates stress. Stress, as scientists know, I'm a scientist, suppresses your immune system. And just think about the implication of leadership that is girded in fear during a pandemic, a viral scourge. They're trying to protect you, but they're doing more harm to you because with all the mixed messaging, all the experimental stuff, you know, all of the drama, the shutdowns, the masks, your immune system was driven into a state of hibernation just when your body needs it the most. And think about what harm that type of policy and approach did to human lives with an immune system that God put in there to protect us that has now been scared away because of fear-laced leadership. And those policies and mixed messages got people so confused. Now, if you were driving to Washington, D.C., from where you are right now, and you have two passengers in the car, one says, go ahead, the other says, go left, and maybe a third passenger says, go right, what do you do? You may say, okay, forget you guys. I mean, you know, stand still or I'll go whatever direction I believe is the right direction. With all this mixed messaging, poor innocent people in Pennsylvania and America in general didn't know what direction to go. And so they made up their minds about what the options in addressing the virus were. And guess what? Leadership starts to curse them out, label them, they're crazy, they're conspiracy theorists, and and people in desperation thought, maybe there are other ways to treat this virus. The government didn't have the answer. The government has an experimental vaccine, and I'm not anti-vax. Anybody who chooses to take it, it's fine. But you, if you have one thing that is experimental, and then you have other options that you're you know, demonizing, I don't think that's leadership. And so what is done is that it's kept people so confused, mental illness skyrocketing among our population and the women, especially who've carried the, the greatest brunt of this economic brunt of this, this crisis, and our children in particular who got caught up in this. I've always said in the battle of the elephants is the grass that really hurts. The grass is our children. Mm. And our children right now, one of the most common causes of death is suicide. And guess what that big trigger was? 
this crisis where they got shut, you know, locked out, schools were shut up, and they were forced to wear masks, even when the data was showing that the mortality in children is so insignificant, it's just about the same level as from the flu in years past. And yet, we were forcing them to take vaccines, and yet, we were forcing them to wear masks. And keeping them out of the socially healing context of a classroom. No wonder. And the damage that's been done to our children, and sad to say, some of those kids will not be around for that damage to be reversed or eliminated. So that's why I say it's been a travesty the way this has been managed. And listen, my, my brother, our children dying from suicide. I don't hear it. I don't see the governor standing there on the podium and saying, this is terrible. Uh, we did the wrong thing here. Own it. That's what a leader does. If I did a, if I made a mistake in surgery, I'll own it. Yeah. Because I have a moral responsibility to the ones that I serve. And I've done thousands of surgeries and complex surgeries. That's the trust. So we've lost trust in the leadership. And I haven't even spoken about the economy. 30% of the businesses destroyed. And the minority businesses in the cities, 70%. A lot of them permanently. So mismanagement of COVID has had disastrous consequences across the spectrum of our lives, every pillar of it. Destroyed people, not just spiritually, but physically and many other ways. And to a large extent, because of all those failed policies and management of COVID, mandatory masks, school shutdowns, children need to be in a socially healing environment and atmosphere of a classroom, not stuck at home with masks slapped on the faces. So that terrible mismanagement, it'll take years and maybe even decades to undo the harm to our children. It's just been a travesty. Not only that, the incidence of drug abuse and deaths from it in our state, we're now leading the nation, is skyrocketing. And yet, Harrisburg remains in a coma. Now, God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that when he put us on this planet, we were going to be living with viruses and bacteria. So he gave us something called the immune system. And what is that immune system? Well, the example I always give is like, who defends America? America is defended by our army, our Marines, our naval forces, Air Force, the National Guard, and an arsenal of nuclear weapons and other weapons. So, and what do I... Uh, military, what do they do? What do our Marines do on a daily basis? They eat well, they exercise. You know, they do the right things to stay in shape in case of a surprise attack. Well, let's come back to the human body. The immune system is really doing what the military does to protect us. Only this way, it protects us from inside. And there are various branches of the immune system. And I don't want to use the technical words, but I can just throw some out there. Monocytes, macrophages, T cells, B cells, plasma cells, antibodies. So there's a whole slew 
of different types of cells that protect us. Some of them carry deadly chemicals, you know? They call them t killer T-cells, killer T-cells. And so God has this army within us. And just like the U.S. Army, to keep them in shape, we have to eat the right things, nutritional, you know, choices. And things like metals like zinc that you've heard about, vitamin C, all these are important. Now, when you look back and see the vast majority of people who died from COVID virus, unfortunately, fellow Americans that we love so much, our brothers and sisters in Christ, were the poor in the inner city. And every doctor in practice knows that people in the inner city have the worst health. They, make the, they don't have the nutritional choices that the rest of us have. They don't get access to health care like many of us do. They breathe the air that's toxic to their lungs. And, you know, COVID initially attacks your lungs. So you can start to see how they have so many risk factors, nutrition being one of them. And then we get back to the governor here and many of his people in leadership position, how they chose to manage this. The only thing they pushed was shot, 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 vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. I'm not an anti-vax, but... You know, there's a lot of choices out there. Nobody was talking about nutrition. Nobody was talking about risk factor modification, a holistic approach, which we know in medicine as the best approach to deal with a disease or a pandemic or any scourge that we have to grapple with in our lives. So you can begin to see how this was mismanaged and this great window of opportunity over two years was just wasted by our governor due to the incompetence, not with him, not only with him, but with the people around him. And the consequences of it, our kids will have to carry this basket into the future. So you see, it's been terrible. And then along the same lines, you know, the people who have suffered the most, the poor folks, a lot of them, people in the inner city, who the educational system has been crumbling over the years, We've been spending billions in education, but there are no success metrics or performance measures at all. And every year we spend even more and more. The crime is going up because over half of the black males that drop out of high school wind up in jail. And we've been keep kicking this can down the line because of incompetent leadership over and over and over again. We're promoting diversity when we should be promoting excellence in our kids. And I say it again, on a scale of desirable goals, excellence trumps diversity every day. And there's no affirmative action in global commerce. We're teaching our kids critical race theory, which belongs in the junk heap of history, brings no value to their lives. We're keeping them divided. And how are we going to be the leaders of the free world of the planet as our ancestors worked hard to enable us to be, if our children are getting mediocre education in our school systems. I've referred to it as zip code disease. So many of our zip codes have continued to fail over the years. So Pennsylvania is sick. And as I've said many times before, it needs a doctor. It's so sick, it needs a heart surgeon. You know, I've been in the healthcare industry for decades, responsible for financial, you know, platforms, responsible for clinical outcomes. I've traveled the world. Yes, I speak six languages. I understand leadership. I understand management, not because I have a degree in management from Harvard. No, 
just from experience, but most of all, the passion for service. It's time that Pennsylvania gets somebody with a heart and a mind, a conservative, compassionate, critical thinker, because this state is dying. Socialism is already here. We see it in many forms, and I just mentioned not only in the mismanagement of COVID, where the dictatorships, shutdowns, mass mandates, this and the other. You go, where are our freedoms? Are we in America or some communistic country? It's time for change. People are just tired of it. They're tired of politicians promoting the same politicians and expecting a different outcome. They're tired of God being removed from the lives of people, the lives of our children, and a school system that is spiraling into a, a, a canyon of disaster. So um, I say I'm in this campaign. I encourage people to support us. I'm a leader who's been proven and tested, a heart surgeon. I'll be the governor. I've been as a heart surgeon. I'm used to dealing with life and death issues. I'm focused. I'm disciplined. I'm resource-oriented, and I know a thing or two about uh, about uh, high-performance teams. And in November, I'm the only candidate. I tell people and challenge them. Look at all the candidates who are running who can win in November. So we must win in May. And I ask people to support us. Go on the website, www.zamaforpa.com, and support us. Volunteer to help us. We need poll workers. We need volunteers. And above all, send donations. Because I'm not accepting any special interest. I'm there for the people. So when they go to bed at night, they know that there's a man out there who's got his heart in the right place and got God who's backing him to lead him, to serve him at the highest level of excellence and to be the best governor for their children, for our children. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Zama. Again, we are speaking with Dr. Zama, who is running for Pennsylvania governor. And again, as you mentioned, you can go to ZamaForPA.com to get more information. Uh, he will appear on the Republican primary ballot May 17th for Pennsylvania governor. So, Dr. Zama, thank you again for your time. Uh, thank you for joining yes, us. Yes, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. And we have to grow this party. We should grow it. We have a responsibility for humanity. I love you. Please have a great day. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye. The Lancaster Patriot Podcast is a production of the Lancaster Patriot, a conservative print newspaper serving Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and beyond. Our goal is to provide readers with journalism that is ethical, honest, and investigative. For more information and to subscribe, visit www.thelancasterpatriot.com.